Finnovate showcases cutting-edge banking and financial technology through a global conference series featuring short-form demos and thought leadership. Now, the conversation continues on the Finnovate podcast. Hello and welcome to the Finnovate podcast. Joining me today, we have Vivek Krishnamurthy, Principal of Commerce Ventures. Vivek, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Greg. Great to be here. So we're going to be talking today about embedded finance, but before we get there, can you just take a quick moment and introduce yourself, give us a little bit of background on where you're coming from? Happy to do it. Uh, yeah, the quick background on, on me and the fund. Um, you know, I've been at Commerce Ventures now for, for five years. We're an early stage venture capital fund um, that invests in pre-seed to series B kind of fintech and retail tech companies. Um, you know, we're mostly focused on kind of infrastructure. I'd say that's about 70% of what we do, kind of infrastructure and enablers. And then we have about 20 to 30% of our portfolio that's focused on kind of full stack financial services. We, again, we've been doing it for 10 years. Before that, I was doing kind of fintech investment banking at FT Partners, which is a bank that only focuses on fintech. So I've had the pleasure of uh, fintech only for, for seven years now, and that too in a one block radius in San Francisco. So uh, not the greatest diversity of background, but certainly uh, certainly like what I like, apparently. Yeah, really. You found something you like and stick with it, which is which is commendable, I think. Um, and obviously, you know, we know FT Partners well. They've been a longtime fan and ally of Finnovate, and we certainly uh, enjoy working with them too. Um, so, you know, as you mentioned, we're going to talk about embedded finance. I think the first piece that we need to discuss, though, is what exactly embedded finance is. You know, this is something which there's a lot of competing definitions out there. This year, we ran uh, with our awards program. We had an embedded finance category. We started to say, well, what actually does this category mean? So we could explain to our judges. Um, how do you define the phrase embedded finance? That, that is, it is actually the, the kind of question of the moment right now. Or I, uh, I would say, you know, that the, you know, going a little bit into the background here, you know, our, our, our fund, the genesis was always kind of, you know, enabler focused. And I think what we found, you know, our, our portfolio is folks like Bill.com and Marketa and Secure and Forder and MX relative to kind of full stack financial services providers, as I mentioned. And I think that over the years, um, people have looked at our portfolio and kind of bunched it all in this concept of embedded finance. And, and we've been a little bit confused. I think the way that we view the world is a little bit different. There's a split right between the infrastructure layers that enable third parties to launch financial services products. And then there's the instances where financial services are launched inside of other ecosystems. And we think that latter aspect, right, that latter space of being able to turn on a financial services product in the customer journey inside of a non-financial services ecosystem, that's what we think about as embedded finance. Sure. No, I think that makes sense. Are, are there any examples you can point to that really kind of clearly illustrate what this looks like? Sure. Yeah. There, there, there's you know one or two in the portfolio, and I'll, and I'll pick kind of two ones that look a little bit different, um, but are in the broader broader category. One of the places we've seen a lot of embedded finance has actually been in kind of small business and commercial. The, the first company that comes to mind is is a business called Resolve. This is actually a spin out, effectively, of of a firm. They're focused on you know think about it as BNPL for commercial. They're enabling any small business to to kind of put a widget onto their e commerce instance that lets them extend net 30, 60, 90 day terms to any businesses that are buying from them. 
the platform itself does all the disintermediation of the, the lending facility and the, the infrastructure around kind of the KYC or the KYB in this case and, and servicing, um, you as an e-commerce provider just has to say, yes, opt in, put that button in, and now you now you have a lending product, right? So a non-financial services ecosystem that is is able to kind of offer financial services in the moment. Um, and and the, the second one I'd point you to is, is another business that we're, we're recent investors in called Constrafor. Um, these folks are building kind of invoicing and billing tools um, to help G CCs coordinate with uh, subcontractors in the construction world. And while their actual SaaS is charged for, the real monetization engine is the embedded factoring they're providing that are letting the subcontractors get paid now versus having to wait 30, 60, 90 days. Um, and, and those are just two of the kind of many examples we're seeing of kind of financial services maybe popping up where it's never popped up before. Right. And I think that piece, you know, as you mentioned in the original definition, that these are outside of kind of the financial institution stack. These are separate pieces that now are owned by different groups, by small businesses, by construction companies. I think that's a really crucial distinction here. Um, I, I, we'll explore that more in, in just a moment, but I, I want to come back to this. Why is this suddenly something that's on everybody's mind? You know, if you look back through the last 10 years in fintech, there have always been white label solutions, widgets designed to go into web pages. <laughs> pieces of apps that developers could bring in through APIs and other things along those lines. Why is this something that's getting so much attention right now? You know, I think well, one of my favorite pieces of like a fintech trivia that someone told me recently, yeah, I look back at the the QR code. You know, the QR code's been around since like, if I remember correctly, the 80s uh, and it was used to label auto parts or something of that nature. But we're seeing them at restaurants for the first time today. <laughs> and I think an element of this is that, you know, technology is a function of, um, adoption and consumers and like a moment in time where things start to actually rationalize the use of that technology. Um, and when I think about embedded finance, there's two elements of it. One, I think that the first generation of fintech innovators have created consumer trust in digital financial services, something that maybe 20 years ago or 15 years ago was actually less common than it is today. And I think we take that a little bit for granted. I think the second aspect of it is there weren't actually that many platforms in which to embed digital financial services about 10 years ago. Today, we look at all of these at scale vertical SaaS providers or core SaaS providers um, that have gotten to unicorn status and IPO, and we kind of take them to, for granted. Um, I think that we can partner with them today and, and launch and launch nationally and, and have an embedded solution. And that too, these are digital first customers that, that for your embedded finance product. 10 years ago, that wasn't really the case, right? You didn't have vertical software or horizontal software at that crazy scale where you can do one partnership and it would be a real revenue mover for you as an embedded finance player. I think today we have it um, both inside of FinTech and outside of FinTech. And I think that's probably why we're seeing the revenue show up on day one, rather than having to wait two or three years before you could strike up a deal with Home Depot to embed a financial services offering in their website relative to being able to go to you know, a vertical SaaS provider that's venture-backed um, that is looking for LTV expansion and is willing to work with you on day one. Sure. And I think that's obviously a, a thing that'll make it a lot more appealing to folks like yourself in the VC space. I, I think the other piece that is really interesting here, it sounds the way you're describing it, it, it sounds like this is kind of a logical extension of the way fintech has grown. You know, we've seen these pieces come into existence. We've seen them become more popular. We've seen them kind of uh, validate themselves in a variety of different ways. And now all of a sudden, these technologies that have existed within the financial institution landscape are now being able to be uh, ported over to other types of businesses, other types of web pages. And, and I think, you know, so to some extent, we're seeing kind of the logical extension, the expansion of fintech now that it's sort of formed this home base from which to operate. We see it now kind of branching out into other areas, which is really exciting. Would you, would you agree with that? 
You know, I, I totally agree. And I think that's what makes it so interesting, right? Sometimes life can be really daunting when you feel like you have to reinvent the wheel. And don't get me wrong, there, there are people in fintech today that are doing phenomenal jobs, kind of reinventing um, or, or like taking us from a zero to one. I think about, I look at crypto and, and, and places like that where people are fundamentally using kind of technology and process innovation to do something brand new. I think one of the really fascinating things, though, to your point, Greg, is that um, when we port over core payments technology into to another vertical, call it healthcare or prop tech or um, construction or whatever it might be, you don't actually have to believe anything about the core technology. All you have to believe is a consumer adoption of willingness and ability, and then the ability and willingness of a third-party platform to distribute that tech. And I think that's what makes it so fascinating, such a ripe area for innovation, because you have these best-in-class tools. The bar for building fintechs has never been lower. Um, you have all of these APIs that let you stand up things in kind of like rapid fashion. Uh, and now you can go into these monstrous TAM categories off to the side, um, and you have a product that you know works. Right. You're not building the plane as it's flying as you've needed to do for the past few years. Yeah, and I think that's a huge difference. And, and I guess this kind of begs the question, are we seeing now uh, one of the, the first steps towards really opening up the market away from established FIs? I mean, obviously, when, when we first started looking and seeing these tools, you would see people had to go through banks because that's where the customers were. That's the way that they could get their technologies in front of people. Um, now we're seeing maybe that the banks are less relevant in the expansion of some of these fintechs. Um, and I don't mean banks, literally, I mean, kind of all financial institutions. There's certainly a broader bucket than just you know kind of brick and mortar banks. But are we seeing now through this embedded finance type of technology, a path forward for fintechs that kind of circumvents those financial institutions? And, and is this sort of, again, something that, uh, that people have been looking for in fintech for a while? Are we seeing that finally happen now? You know, there's like a, a long graveyard or large graveyard of venture capitalists that have predicted the death of banks. And right. so I, I would <laughs> really prefer not to be another headstone. And I, and to be honest, I, I don't I don't think I believe that either. Right. I think the reality is that two things are constantly happen whenever this conversation comes up. I think the first is that people generalize what it means to be a bank or an FI. Right. There's a big difference between Chase and a regional community bank and a sponsor bank, you know, in, in Omaha um, and their ability to, to kind of survive and continue to add value. Value. I also think that there's a dramatic uh, overhyping of this concept of everyone becoming a fintech. I think um, where we have seen third-party platforms be able to offer financial services have been when they are the operating system of a business or a consumer, and they are high trust and high engagement. Um, that's where we've seen conversion rates be even remotely meaningful. And that's a really privileged place to be. Not every retail brand or not every third-party vertical SaaS company has the right to be able to do that. So my suspicion is that it's certainly not going to be true across all verticals and all modalities of fintech. It'll be sucked in certain verticals and certain applications. Um, and then, but in in those in those places, I think it, they will be fundamentally disruptive. And on the banking side, yeah, I think I think that life is going to be more difficult if you are a super regional bank or a community bank that um, doesn't hasn't yet engaged in digital channels. I think life will be a little bit harder because if you think about what embedded finance means, is that means you probably never see the customer. Right. Whereas before with a, a Chime or a Varo or a third-party bank, maybe you were spending your marketing dollars in, you know, against theirs in the open digital market or with maybe direct mail or something like that. Now, embedded finance effectively means that while I'm on Zillow and I want to get pre-qualified for a mortgage, I'm going to just click their button. And whoever has won their portal, whoever gets ranked first is probably who I'm going to go with. 
Uh, and so that's existentially scary for folks without these monstrous marketing budgets that can overtake that because chances are you're just going to never even see that customer. They're not going to come onto your desk and you're going to lose them. You just probably won't even know they were ever looking. And I think that's what's scary in those categories where there is a high trust engagement, where they are the operating system and they have a you know financial services partner that is embedded. Chances are, if you are not that partner who hasn't won that race, you're probably not going to see the consumer. And that's got to be pretty scary. Yeah, no, I can see how that. That's one of you don't know what you don't know, which is one exactly. of the most terrifying moments to places to be in if you're a business leader. Um, so from a venture capital standpoint, you know, where, where do you and Commerce Ventures see the biggest opportunities right now? You know, there's a you know, there's so much happening. Uh, and I think, you know, I certainly wish it was all less expensive, <laughs> but uh, I, I do think that the good news is we're seeing the best founders we've ever seen in this category solve the hardest problems and maybe the most lucrative problems we've ever seen as well. So at the high level, we think there's a lot of opportunities across a lot of categories. If we had to narrow it down, there's probably two things that I focus on day to day these days. Um, the first is this notion of you know, financial automation using data portability, whether that's banking or lending or, or, or insurance, the notion is um, being able to automate decisions for consumers, uh, whether it's a business like Motor Refi that is kind of helping folks go end to end and refi their uh, auto loans um, or, or, or another business that's doing it for kind of personal financial decisions like, you know, uh, money movement across accounts and making sure that you're optimized, uh, you're, you're optimized in which savings account and checking account or you're optimized in which credit card is being swiped uh, at an e-commerce site. All those platforms, I think, are really interesting because I think the mint.com generation is, is no longer has that much in common with the current generation, right? People don't necessarily want financial advice. Um, they want kind of financial security. And there's tools, technology, and, and data modes that enable folks to go end-to-end -end, um, helping consumers secure their financial life. I think the second is a lot more close to what we just spoke about, which is the opportunity in vertical fintech. I think we have high visibility into platforms uh, uh, excuse me, in verticals that have adopted SaaS platforms or cloud-based platforms as a core operating system across, again, healthcare and construction and, and subcategories of, of prop tech and a number of other places. And I think that there's going to be a huge opportunity to bring payments, lending, banking, insurance into those instances, because I do believe they're high trust. Uh, and so we've looked at everything from you know, dentistry SaaS to moving platforms or platforms for kind of small business movers to roofing businesses. Um, and all of them have seen kind of explosive growth uh, as their end consumers are excited to use SaaS uh, and actually looking for those software providers to provide them financial services. I think that's really exciting. You know, we're seeing now the, a lot more open ocean than we've seen in a little while. And this is one of those areas where you can be creative. And it feels like that, you know, that's not always the case in fintech. There's not always the time for creativity and, and sort of these outside the box solutions and outside the box thinking. But I think it, to hear you explain it this way, you look at the opportunity that exists and think, well, how many different ecosystems, different marketplaces could benefit from some of these tools? And the answer is obviously just so, so many. There's so many different places that you could take it, which is really exciting. I think that's something that's good for the industry. I think that's good for innovators and obviously good for VCs like yourselves. Are there any pitfalls though that people need to watch out for that maybe, you know, either yeah. from a VC standpoint or from a startup company standpoint, because in some sense, this could be crippling to have this much choice. So what, what do you see as kind of the red flags or pitfalls to avoid? Yeah, I, I think, I think there's an element of, of, you know, I mentioned this earlier, you know, there, there's a notion of maybe buying into the hype, um, and that 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 can reflect in two core places. One is being dishonest about the addressable market your business can actually achieve. 
right? And being honest about, hey, does that market exist today? Or is am I am I just believing everyone else's excitement about where fintech can go in the next 20 years? Um, and normally in, in kind of my experience, when folks miss out on the first bump, the way they compensate is by believing they're on this hyper exponential curve and they kind of jump ahead one more standard deviation in excitement to kind of catch the next wave. And so the thought is making sure you're not doing that. And the second, the, the second thing to be mindful of is like how that reflects in valuations, right? If you're a startup, um, you got to make sure that you're, you're, you know, you're, you're raising capital at prices that enable you to continue to build uh, and, and create exciting value for you and your investors, recognize that maybe the TAM isn't as big as the rest of the world might think it is be, think it might be. Um, and, and kind of the company that I always think about in this context is actually a business of ours called Cardless. Um, they're ruthless about the types of businesses that they interact with. Um, the business's core offering is they enable a third-party brand, uh, whether it's a retailer or a brand or a sports team in this case, um, to offer uh, a credit card, uh, a white-label credit card that provides non-cash awards. So actually, this is a fun fact, their first customer, if I remember correctly, was the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, so that they enable the Cavs to offer uh, non-cash rewards for their um, season ticket holders and, and fans that use their card in their daily life. So if they, um, well, hold on yeah. a sec, because I just have to say, if the Cavs are offering non-cash rewards, what, what kind of rewards could they possibly be offering their fans? <laughs> I feel in, bad for the Cavs defense, organization. They had... You know, they had many good years, and by many, I mean four. Right, uh, yeah. and uh, <laughs> <laughs> that'll sustain them in those long, dark Cleveland winters. I'm sure. <laughs> I, you know, gosh, uh, I, I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, there's a there's a second coming somewhere uh, coming out of Akron. You know, perhaps. Right. right. Uh, but uh, but yeah, no, I, I think you know, and, and if you talk to them, and, and the, the founders will tell you, you know, not every brand has the right to offer those cards, uh, and so they're merciless about high engagement consumer brands that think they can actually drive conversion rates. Um, and that's, that's I think, the, the critical decision in these moments. In a moment where every investor thinks every fintech company can be worth $10 billion and that every SaaS platform in the world is going to offer embedded financing and, you know, and, and payments and all that, all of that jazz, I think there's a higher pressure than ever to be realistic about how likely you are to be able to do that and what you might need to be able to do or what you have to do from a product standpoint to be able to offer those things. Um, and I think that's where I spend the most time worrying. But when I see exciting concepts that haven't been done before, the fact that they haven't been done before tells me something, right? Either the mm -hmm. market wasn't that big or the technology wasn't there. And if you happen to have built tech that didn't exist before or leverage tech that didn't exist before, I'm really, really excited. Um, if the market is just as small as it was five or six years ago and the prices to, to invest are five to six times higher, I'm a lot less excited than I would have been five or six years ago. Sure. No, I think that's that's absolutely fair and some good words of warning. I'm going to have to go back and listen to that uh, that answer again because when you mentioned the overhype, I went out and bought some more Dogecoin and a Shiba Inu coin <laughs> just to, <laughs> to go illustrate the exact thing which you're referring to. No, this has been a really interesting conversation. I'm afraid we have to leave it there. We're out of time. But Vivek, thank you so much for, for joining me and hope everybody who was listening has an increased understanding of what embedded finance is, how to take advantage of it and where some of those opportunities are. And I think this has been a really good overview, certainly for myself, and I appreciate your perspective. Thanks. Thanks, Greg. Really, really had a ton of fun and uh, excited to chat more. The Finnovate podcast is produced by Informa Connect in association with Provoke.fm Media. Check out Finnovate.com for information on Finnovate's upcoming shows and to learn how you can get involved. The discount code Finnovate Podcast will save you 20% on tickets to all of our events. And you can email us at info at for information on sponsoring, speaking, or demoing. Thanks for listening. <laughs>